Find, please, if you have your Bibles with you, the second chapter of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Uh, There are Bibles in the pews, the back of the pews in front of you, underneath on the front, and if you don't have your your copy, Acts chapter 2. We're talking today and uh, next Sunday about this, the Spirit of God breathing on us, moving among us. A few years ago, someone gave me a a copy of a a great book. It combines two of of life's great themes. It's titled God and Football, Faith and Fanaticism in the SEC. In that book, Chad Gibbs, uh, well, I think it was in in 2009, he and his wife traveled to all all the stadiums in the SEC to home football games. And um, in 2009, on a a fall um, in Knoxville, they went to eat at Calhoun's. Calhoun's is a very well-known place in Knoxville where a lot of Tennessee fans go. And uh, it was a a bad year for for Tennessee. In 2008, Tennessee had been five and seven, and it wasn't looking much better in 2009. Now, let let me pull over for a second and and just kind of throw a bone to the Tennessee fans. I, I know that it, this past fall was a great fall, and this coming fall is shaping up to be a great fall. In fact, I have promised some of our Tennessee fans that if Tennessee beats Alabama this fall, I will wear an orange tie on the day uh, after that. We're still negotiating who gets to choose the tie, but I'm, I'm going to wear an orange tie if, if uh, Tennessee beats Alabama. But but 2008 was a bad year, 2009 was, was not a good year, and the, the Tennessee fans were dejected, they were despondent, they were dispirited. They were, <laughs> got an amen. So, so um, Chad Gibbs and his wife Tricia were having lunch at uh, Calhoun's, now this, it, was, it was lunch, they were... Uh, Tennessee was playing at home later in the day, but there was plenty of time for, for food and refreshments. And so the Tennessee fans were all gathered there. And Alabama was playing on TV. Calhoun had, Calhoun's had all these big screens around on the walls and so they could watch the, the ball games. And Alabama was playing. And Tennessee fans were so dispirited, so despondent, that they, that they weren't even cheering against Alabama. They just didn't have the... They didn't have the energy, it appeared. In fact, Alabama scored, and one of the Tennessee fans actually clapped. Like, what? And so Tricia, Chad Gibbs' wife, knew that this was unusual. She thought, she suggested maybe they had gotten right with God, that the Tennessee fans had gotten right. But, um, but Chad Gibbs said, no, they haven't suddenly gotten religion. And then he said, this, this many people don't change all at once, after all, he said, it's not Pentecost. Well, what did he mean by, why would he compare a bunch of people changing all at once to Pentecost? What is Pentecost? Well, let's read in chapter 2 of Acts. We're going to start at verse 1. 
When the day of Pentecost came, and, and Pentecost means 50, it was, it was 50 days after the Passover, and Jews from all the known world gathered in for what was called the Feast of Weeks, a big high and holy day in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost. For us as followers of Jesus, it's important for what happened on that day. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues." Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Now, we're going we're gonna to begin at verse 14 next week, but let's, let's look at this idea of Pentecost and why it's so important uh, to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Remember I said that um, Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover, Jesus died the weekend of Passover, was resurrected on Sunday. The Bible says he spent 40 days with his followers, and then, and then he ascended from earth to heaven. And one of the last things he said before he ascended to heaven was what we call the Great Commission. He sent them to all the world to make disciples and baptize, and he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit clearly implied in his words were, you cannot do what I've commissioned you to do on your own. You must be filled with the Spirit. There's a saying from the, uh, the maritime world, from, the, from seafaring vessels, when the wind is not blowing, row. Now, that's a great uh, saying. It kind of means, you know, when things aren't going your way, then, then work a little harder. It's a great saying, uh, especially in the days before the days of boat motors. And so if, if the wind wasn't blowing in, in your direction, just row. Well, that's a great saying for the sea. But a guy named Leonard Sweet, who's kind of like a church consultant, said it's a terrible motto for the church. For the church, he said, when the wind is not blowing, just sit still. When the wind of God's Spirit is not moving, wait, for there's far too much to accomplish to attempt this on our own. That's what Jesus said to his friends and followers, 120 of them, go and wait. So they're in Jerusalem. People from all over the known world, Jews and converts to Judaism, are streaming into the city of Jerusalem. People with, who spoke all kinds of languages, the, the, city, the, the streets are teeming with people. 120 of Jesus' close friends are praying, and they're anticipating, and they are waiting. When suddenly... This, the sound of a violent wind blew. The, the, the Holy Spirit was literally blowing into 
the room. And then these things, these uh, goodness gracious, like great balls of fire came and rested over them. And then they began to speak other languages, not probably the the glossolalia, the tongues that we talk about often in the New Testament, but this was probably real languages that they didn't know how to speak. They hadn't studied Babel or uh, any, any language course. They just, they were speaking these other languages and word began to spread about the wind and the fire and the languages and people gathered, great throngs gathered around the 120 to see what was happening and it was so unusual they they thought they'd been drinking early in the day and Peter took advantage of that big crowd that gathered and he preached Jesus and 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day were eternally converted and the church was born. Now he had said wait, wait until the spirit comes before you you act. And when the Spirit blew in, all kinds of wonderful things happened. These people who were such a, such a disparate group, they were unified. They, they witnessed miracles. There were large numbers of people who, who were converted. And the, the church grew, began to grow daily. Without God's Spirit, they were a, a group of good, but rather powerless people. And then... When the Spirit of God blew in, it changed them and, and they changed the world. On February the 8th, something unusual happened in a small Kentucky town called Wilmore. Asbury College is there. Asbury Seminary is right across the street. Back in the late 80s, I studied it for a semester at Asbury Seminary, so I know the place pretty well. On February the 8th at Asbury College, they held a a chapel service like they do a couple of times each week. But this time, it did not end. The service did not end with the closing prayer. Someone said the benediction, but nobody left. The students remained. They They continued to pray. They continued to sing. Some were weeping. They were confessing their sins to each other. And it went on for 24 hours, and then another 24 hours, round the clock now for more than two weeks. Word got out, traveled around the world. It was called the Asbury Revival, and 50,000 people came to Wilmore, that little Kentucky town, to see what was going on. And that wasn't the first time. When I was there in the 80s, they were talking about the 1970 version of the Asbury Revival when something very similar happened at Asbury. At the end of a chapel service, the students didn't leave. They were praying and singing and confessing their sins. 1970, 1970 was not the first time. There has been this series since 1905. Every several years, this revival, some people called it preferred to call it an outpouring, the the Asbury outpouring, because revival, they felt like we can kind of gin up a revival, we can kind of manufacture a series of meetings, but an outpouring places the emphasis on heaven and God pouring out his his spirit. So so 1970 was not the first, they go all the way back to 1905, and even beyond 1905 in our nation, you may have heard of the, the Great Awakenings, the first Great Awakening, 1730s and 40s, the second Great Awakening in the 1790s and the 1810s. Those Great Awakenings actually shaped the, the fabric of our uh, 
young nation. So, so at Asbury, something mystical, something spiritual, something unusual happened. I believe in, I believe in spiritual awakenings. And I pray for a spiritual awakening in the First Baptist Church of Huntsville. Emotionalism is not the same as an awakening, by the way. It's hard to tell the difference at the time. But when time passes, you can look back and at least kind of tell, was that a real renewal, a real outpouring, or was it emotionalism? Because when a few weeks passed, or pass, if it's been emotionalism, then all you have left is just the memories of some really fun emotions. But when renewal happens, when an outpouring of God's Spirit happens, then things change. Things change for that early church. I, I mentioned some of those things. When, when a, an awakening happens, then the people's idea of morality changes. When an outpouring of God's Spirit happens, then people uh, who are relationships that are broken, those relationships are mended. When, when an outpouring of God's Spirit happens, churches are re-energized and, and numbers of people are eternally transformed. I believe in spiritual awakenings, and I, I pray for an awakening here. The, even there, there are even social changes. In the, the Second Great Awakening, around 1800, following that, the abolitionist or anti-slavery movement emerged from the Second Great Awakening. Society was changed. Uh, the changes are not limited to the walls of a church. The, the entire society changes. Events such as what happened at Asbury are so appealing that we're tempted to try to manufacture them, but we can't. Jesus said in John 8, the Spirit is like the wind. It blows where it will. So we can't, we can't manufacture a movement, but we can pray for a movement. We can anticipate a movement. For although the, wind, the Spirit, like the wind, will blow where He will, the Holy Spirit does not show up where He is not welcome. He is welcome at Asbury, and that's important. Asbury is part of what's called the Wesleyan holiness tradition. It is a tradition in which they often pray for and anticipate, and as they would say, sow seeds for awakening. The Holy Spirit will blow where He will, but, but He does not show up where He is unwelcome. I pray He is welcome here. I I'm hungry for this Holy, Holy Spirit to blow like a wind among us. Now, this is a good time for our church. It's a, it's a time of what I would call post-COVID regrowth. 2023 has been good for us. It's been a time with a number of people who have come into our church. It's a good time, and it's a good time for us to pray for real revival because we're not praying just for the survival of an institution. We're praying for our part in the Great Commission. It's a good time to pray for this because the world's needs and our opportunities are greater than our resources. The world's needs and our opportunities are greater than our building, and this is a wonderful building. The world's needs and our opportunities are greater than our budget, and I'm thrilled about our budget. The world's needs and our opportunities are greater than our flow charts, even greater than our spreadsheets. This organization hums. And it, it, takes, it's, it takes a lot of pressure off me. This organization, 
I'm talking about the organization of First Baptist Church. It hums from the finance committee to the personnel committee to the missions committee to the trustees and all across. This place hums. But there's a difference between the hum of an organization and the roar of God's spirit. We need more than a humming organization. Uh, I join you in anticipating and praying for the roar of God's spirit to blow in to this place so that we are transformed, so that our community is transformed. And, and God help us not to pray just for our church. That'd be kind of selfish, now wouldn't it? But to pray that, that God's spirit would blow among all of God's people. The first church, by the way, didn't have a building, didn't have a budget. Archaeologists have uncovered no flow, sheet, flow charts nor spreadsheets. But God changed them and they changed the world. To this point, we focused on renewal at, at First Baptist, at a, a, a corporate revival. But maybe it's also important this morning to talk about the Spirit of God like blowing like a wind into, into your life and mine. When we experience that conversion so powerful, Jesus said it's, it's a new birth. The Spirit of God came to take up residence in us. He, he lives in us. We are like the temple of the Spirit. Our, our very bodies are like His temple. So He lives among us to to comfort us when we are hurting, to empower us when we are weak, to enlighten us when we are confused, to embolden us when we are timid. But the fact that he lives in us does not mean we are comforted or empowered or emboldened are enlightened. We have to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, be filled with, and the verb there is be controlled by. You might remember Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's making a comparison. When someone is, is under the influence of alcohol, he or she is, is controlled by a substance beyond themselves. So he says, don't be controlled by that substance. Be controlled by or filled with filled with the Spirit. Dwight L. Moody was a, a famous preacher back in the 1800s. And uh, there, was a, there was a bunch of uh, pastors in a certain city that were gonna plan a citywide like, revival and they were, the consensus was, let's invite Dwight L. Moody in to preach. But there was one of the pastors who who didn't like the idea, and he said, Moody, 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 all I hear is Dwight L. Moody. Does Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? One of the other pastors said, no, he does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit has a monopoly on Dwight L. Moody. See, that's, that's to be filled with or controlled by the Spirit. He, 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 he ex exists in your life. He lives among, he lives in you to comfort you when you're hurting, to empower you when you're weak, to embolden you when you're timid, to, to enlighten you when you're confused, but we have to be filled with his spirit. In fact, somebody asked Dwight L. Moody, are you filled with the spirit? Yes, he said, but I leak. 
Do you leak? Have you leaked? Was there a time when you, you would say, I, I, I remember when the Spirit of God was so real to me to comfort me and to empower me and to embolden me and to enlighten me, but I, I have leaked. Well, this is the time to pray not only for the infilling of God's Spirit in our church, but in, the, in those empty and broken places deep, deep inside us. Ezekiel, in the book that bears his name, told about a vision that he had, a, a God-given dream, if you will. And he said, in this vision, in this dream, God plopped me down into this valley of dry bones. Can you picture that valley with me with the scattered, dried, bleached out, disassembled bones? He said, um, God told me, preach to these bones and tell them, hear the word of the Lord. God will breathe life into you. So Ezekiel did preach to the bones, and he, as, and he wrote, as I was speaking, there was a, there was a noise, the wind was blowing, there was a noise, he said, and then there was a rattling sound, and the bones began to come together. The ankle bone connected to the shin bone, the shin bone connected to the knee, you know that, right? Well, that's where this comes from. So all the bones joined together. And then Ezekiel said the muscles and the tendons joined on those bones. And then skin wrapped around all those bones. But there they lay, still, lifeless. Bodies looked like human bodies, again, but lifeless. Order the winds to breathe life into these bodies that they might live. God told Ezekiel. Ezekiel did, and the wind blew, and, and life entered those bodies, and they stood like a vast army. And then God explained the vision to Ezekiel. He said these bones are a metaphor, a, a symbol of the people of God. For he said the people of God, my people are are lifeless and dry. But he said, go tell my people, I will breathe my spirit into them and give them life again. I can't explain all that happened at Asbury. I can't explain what happened in the Great Awakenings. I can't explain what happened at Pentecost. But I know that it's very easy for churches like ours to rely on, on the organization. And God blesses churches that rely on the organization because we're all flawed people. But when the wind blows in, when the wind blows in, people are deeply, radically, and eternally transformed. And so is their world. 
And when there are people who have not experienced the comfort and the power and the emboldenment and the the enlightenment of God's Spirit, when they pray to be filled with the Spirit, He fills even those inmost parts about which we sang a moment ago, those inmost parts. So I I hope you'll pray with me. Blow. Blow wind. Blow. Blow.